0: People have uh, stopped me all morning out in the hall, out in the atrium here, and they've uh, told me about the moment that they first heard Roger Nishioka speak for the first time. And from memory, they recited the sermon that he had preached to them 20, 30 years ago. And I wasn't surprised in the slightest, because that's exactly what I can do. I never forget Roger uh, speaking when I was at a youth conference. Hearing him uh, share the gospel in a way that I had never heard before and I wasn't quite sure what to do with. But he had this way of uh, breaking open God's heart and showing it to us through a story, through the the scriptures read and proclaimed. He had a way of inviting us to want to go deeper in faith. I said that at 930 And many of the people who heard Roger for the first time at 9.30 came up to me right at the back door and said, This morning was my sermon. It was the one that I'll never forget him preaching. It's quite a day for us here at Preston Hollow to have Roger Nishioka uh, bring the good news of the gospel to us. Roger started as a person who was on the stage when I was a young person and became one of my professors. Now, I want you to listen to everything he has to say this morning in the sermon, but if he tells you anything about me before, don't listen to him. (laughs) Because it'll only be half true. But, friends, will you uh, join me in welcoming Roger Nishioka to the pulpit of Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church?
1: students is going to introduce you. <laughs> that wasn't as bad as I expected, so thank you, Matthew. That was actually very lovely. My goodness. Oh, hey, um, so yes, I was privileged to be one of Matthew's professors. Actually, I was privileged to be one of Matthew's professors, and also for a short time, one of Sarah R's Past, uh, professors also. Sarah Art, also is a graduate of Columbia Seminary. Uh, about Matthew, I was with him for his years, for his Master of Divinity degree. I have stories.
0: <laughs>
1: and for a small fee, I will share them with you. And you can use those. You can put those into your well and bring them out at a particular time that will be opportune for you. I am honored to be in the pulpit this morning. Grateful for the invitation of your senior pastor, Matthew, whom I love. Grateful for the invitation of the session to join you on this day. My goodness, between the Reverend Matthew Ruffner, Sarah Johnson, Sarah R., Mark Brainerd, my goodness, you have assembled, called an amazing group of pastors to serve you in these days. You should be proud. You should be glad. These are extraordinary people. It's an honor to be with you on this day. Hey, if you are visiting, don't take this as an indication of uh, Preston Hollow. So come next week when the real preacher is preaching and you'll get the gospel at that point. Just endure for these next few moments. I'm so glad to be with you. I do, I, okay, I'm going to say it, really. So when you hit on the fourth verse of holy, 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 that descant, I think God, God's self, stopped heaven and said, wait, 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 wait. These people can sing. (laughs) So thank you for inspiring me. I think it's often that God stops and says a bunch of Presbyterians can sing. So, let alone clap. I'm thinking a bunch of Baptists in this place. What is wrong with you people? Hey, listen for the Word of God as it continues for us this day. This is from the Gospel of John. It's the eighth chapter, it's the first through the eleventh verses. Listen for the Word of God. Then each of them, the crowd, went home while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And making her stand before all of them, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery now when the law of moses commanded us to stone such women now what do you say they said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him jesus bent down and wrote his finger on the ground when they kept on questioning him he straightened up and said to them Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And Jesus said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. So it was several years ago that I was invited to be a weekend speaker for a youth retreat for the Presbytery of the Yukon. Uh, Presbytery is a collection of churches in the area. Um, This is the upper part of Alaska. And there are not a whole lot of Presbyterians in that huge upper part of Alaska. Actually, there are not a whole lot of people in that huge upper part of Alaska. They couldn't afford to have their own camp or conference or retreat center, so we rented a camp for that weekend. These Presbyterian young people and adult leaders, we rented the Gospel Victory Bible Camp just outside of Fairbanks. Now, gospel is a great word, victory is a great word, Bible is a wonderful word, camp is a great word, but you put gospel, victory, Bible, camp all together in a row, and it makes some Presbyterians kind of (laughs) nervous. So I spoke the first night, Friday night, of the retreat. And I spoke the next morning, Saturday morning. There was a couple over on the side, sitting in chairs. I learned later that they were the owners and managers of the Gospel Victory Bible Camp outside of Fairbanks. After I finished my second presentation keynote conversation with these young people and adults, they went off into small groups. I was left there alone. The couple came up to me, and they looked perplexed. They said, so these are all Presbyterians. And I said, well, uh, probably not all. There are probably some who are not Presbyterians, but we welcome everyone, so there could be some marauding Methodists who have joined us, I don't know. <laughs> they said, but, but you're Presbyterian. I said, yes, I am. And, and you talk about Jesus. And I said, yes, I do. And they looked at me Perplexed, And they said, well, that's odd, because we've always been told that you Presbyterians, you don't talk about Jesus. And I said, well, he's, he's kind of the reason why we're all here. <laughs> and then they asked that wonderful question. They said, so, when were you saved? And I said, oh, well, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. And there's never been a time, honestly, when I did not know that I was a child of God. There's never been a time, honestly, that I did not know that Jesus Christ was my Savior. My parents loved me, even loved my brothers. My parents, <laughs> they, they taught me that from the very beginning. The couple looked at me again and said, yes, but when were you saved? And I said, oh, well, uh, I, I sense that you would like a particular day and time. And if I have to answer it that way, I think I would say that it probably happened when I was 15 years old at the Japanese Presbyterian Church where I was growing up. Um, it was confirmation. And at the end of our confirmation, I stood up in front of the church and I said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. If you're looking for a day and a time, I guess that would be it. And they both looked at me. Never forget the response. They said, well, that's not good enough. And they turned around and walked away. So I want you to hold that story as you and I explore this gospel reading from John. So here we have Jesus Christ, and this woman is brought before him Jesus has earned a reputation, obviously, so as soon as he enters Jerusalem, people begin to gather around him. They follow him to the temple. He's in the outer courts of the temple with a crowd, and he's, he's teaching. He sits down and begins to teach them. And the religious leaders of the day, they bring this woman and stand her in front of him and all these people, and they say, I'm sure loudly, that we have caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Now, according to the law of Moses, she is to be stoned. What do you say, Jesus? Now, they are correct. Uh, They're citing Deuteronomy 22 in that chapter. It does say that those who are caught in adultery are to be stoned to death. Interestingly enough, it says both the man and the woman are to be stoned to death. They only bring the woman one wonders what happened to the man. Jesus bends down, doesn't answer him, bends down and draws in the dirt for a while. Eventually he stands up and he says to these religious leaders, let the one among you who is without sin throw the first stone at her. Then he bends down and draws in the dirt again. There's been a lot of biblical scholarship spent on what Jesus was doing as he was drawing in the dirt. In fact, when I was on the faculty at Columbia Seminary, one of my colleagues, Beth Johnson, professor of New Testament, she told me about a paper a student had written. And during the entire exegesis paper, fancy word for how you bring meaning out of the text, the Bible text, during the entire exegesis paper for seven pages, he speculated on what Jesus was drawing in the dirt. John doesn't tell us what Jesus was drawing in the dirt. No one except Jesus knows what Jesus was drawing in the dirt. Dr. Johnson said this was a fine seven-page paper on missing the point. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus stands up, looks around. There are no more religious leaders. The passage says, beginning with the Presbyterians, they began to drift off. (laughs) Okay, well, it says beginning with the elders. And in the Greek, the word for elders is presbyteros, is presbyters. So starting with the Presbyterians, there were Presbyterians. Some of them had the biggest rocks, I bet, in their hands. They were ready to go. You know that. We love our rules. They were ready to go. Jesus says to her, this marvelous question. Is there no one left to condemn you? And she says, probably with incredulity, no one, sir. And then he says, neither do I condemn you. Now go on your way and do not sin anymore. Go on your way. And do not sin anymore. It is a remarkable conversation. See, the point is not what Jesus was drawing in the dirt. The point is that Jesus, yet again, is changing the rules... You know, the earliest rabbis, they quantified it. When you look at the Hebrew Scriptures, the rabbis have agreed there are 613 laws in the Hebrew Scriptures. In order for you to be saved, you have to keep all 613 laws. There's no gradation of which ones are more important or less important. In order for you to be saved, you have to keep all 613. Okay, granted, the first 10 kind of carry a little bit more weight, but the others are still all there, 603 additional laws. One of them says, for a woman and a man if they are caught in adultery they are to be stoned to death. That is one of the laws. Jesus is changing the rules. Instead of condemning this woman, he tells her to go on her way and to not sin anymore. For Jesus Christ Being saved no longer comes through keeping all the rules, any more than it comes from being able to name a specific day and time when you were saved by God. Now, let me be clear, if that is your faith journey, if you know and cite a particular day and time when you mark that as the moment you were saved by God's grace in Jesus Christ, I am grateful. And I support you, and I celebrate with you. But if you are more akin to me and my faith journey, when it has always been for you that God has been known as your Savior in Jesus, that God's presence has always been a part of you, and the Holy Spirit has been around your life, and you really cannot cite a particular time and date, then I want your soul to be at rest For that is God's work in you as well. What is clear is that Jesus is changing the rules. A former student of mine, now a pastor in East Lansing, Michigan, whenever anyone asks her, when were you saved? Kristen's response is, I was saved nearly 2,000 years ago, the moment Jesus Christ died on the cross. When someone asks me if but when I was saved, my response to them is, by the grace of God, I am being saved every single day, multiple times a day. What I want to understand with you is this. That it is only God who saves. It is only through Jesus Christ that we are saved. It is by the presence of the Holy Spirit that we are saved. And because that is true, because salvation is up to God, then no one, no human being on the face of the earth has the right or the power to tell you that your faith journey, that your understanding of what it means to be saved by God, that you and your faith and faithfulness is not good enough. No one has the right to say that to you. The only one who can say that is God and God has changed the rules. We're not being saved by keeping the rules anymore. We're being saved by the remarkable ministry and life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God and Jesus Christ has changed the rules. According to the law, this woman should be put to death. But Jesus refuses to condemn her. Several years ago, before he retired, a friend of mine, Alan, was pastor of the Westminster Presbyterian Church over in Arlington. Arlington. He'd been there for several years, and one fall he noticed a woman who had slipped into the very back of the sanctuary just before the call to worship. She sat in the back pew of Westminster Church over there in Arlington. And just as he pronounced the benediction, she ducked out and left. He was curious. He looked at the friendship pad afterwards, and she didn't sign it. She's not stupid. LAUGHTER The next Sunday, he watched for her just to see, and sure enough, she showed up again, just before the call to worship, stayed the entire service, kept her head down. Then as soon as the benediction was pronounced, she got up and she left. This went on every single Sunday. Alan finally placed an elder back there on the back pew and told her, you have to talk to this woman and find out who she is, because none of us know her. The elder was able to speak to her just briefly. She was insistent on leaving as quickly as she could. She wouldn't even make eye contact with the elder, but she told her her name was Rebecca, and she had just moved to Arlington from Houston. The next Sunday, Alan surprised her by walking to the back of the sanctuary and delivering the benediction from the back, (laughs) standing right next to her there in the last pew where she was seated. After the benediction was over, she got up and tried to get past him, and he reached out and gently touched her and said, hello, I'm Alan, I'm the pastor here. And she said, I know that. He said, I would love to talk to you some more. And she said, no, you really don't. And he said, "Uh, I'd like to. And she said, no, you really don't want to talk to me. And he was startled, but he gave her his card and said, if you'd like to talk to me, please give me a call. Send me a note. I'd like to meet with you and just hear more about your life. She wouldn't make eye contact with him, and she left. The next Sunday, she was not there at the back of the church, and Alan was afraid he had scared her off. To his relief, the next Sunday, she showed up. She was there again, looking down, just before the call to worship. After the benediction, she left. Alan was surprised, middle of the week, to receive a note from her, and she said she would like to talk to him, if he'd be willing to meet her. He wrote back and said, of course, and they decided to meet at a coffee shop near the church over there in Arlington. She sat down with him, and he learned her story. She grew up in Houston, went to a Presbyterian church there, went to college at LSU, met a young man, they fell in love, and after graduation, they had a huge, wonderful wedding. After the honeymoon, they had bought a house with the help of her folks and his folks in Houston. They moved in and began to make a life together with one another. She soon discovered that being married is really, really hard. And they fought over everything. Arguing, calling each other names, belittling one another. In the fourth year they were married, she discovered to her surprise that they were pregnant. But because she had begun to hate her husband, and she was convinced he hated her, she told him neither about the pregnancy nor about the abortion that she had. Desperate for love and for comfort, She turned to a co-worker. He, too, was married, and they began a year-long affair. Eventually, his wife found out, and that marriage ended in divorce, and there were children involved. When her husband found out, they got a divorce. She couldn't stay in her job anymore, so she quit and found a job in Arlington. Arlington. She told Alan that this was nothing like the life she had envisioned. She was 26 years old, married and divorced, had had an affair and an abortion. She said, I am a terrible person. Before Alan could respond, she said... I want to thank you. It has been good for me to be worshiping with you. I've really enjoyed your sermons. I've enjoyed listening to the choir. People have been kind to me when I have let them talk to me. I'm sorry I can't continue to worship with you. And Alan asked why. And Rebecca, she said to him, Well, because now you know who I am. I can't keep on coming to church. I'm a terrible, terrible person. Ellen looked at her across the table and he said, Rebecca, this is what I know about you. You always have been. You are now. And you will always be a child of God. And we are doing our very best to be God's family. So you are welcome, always, at Westminster Church. This is your home. Please come home." She was back in the sanctuary the next Sunday. It was a year later that she became a member of Westminster Presbyterian Church. And for them, they introduced members in worship. She stood up and took the microphone and she said to the congregation, you may not know this about me, but when I found you a little over a year ago, I was in a bad, bad place. I want you to know how grateful I am to you. Because through you, by the grace of God, I've been saved. Through you, by the grace of God, I've been saved. Jesus turned to the woman and said, Is there no one to condemn you? She said, No one, sir. Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Now go, on your way, and do not sin anymore. Jesus has changed the rules, the rules are different, and because he has, that is why our hearts can sing of the day he brings, we can let the fires of his justice burn. For he will wipe away all tears, for the dawn draws near, and the world is about to turn. Thanks be to God, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.